Hello, and welcome to Until It's Fixed, a podcast by Optum. This 10-part series takes you inside the healthcare system to better understand the challenges and complexities at the industry's core. I'm your host, Susan Denser. We've spent a few episodes so far digging into a wealth of issues across the health system. We've looked at innovation and technology, how to serve patients and consumers better, and how to attack the huge amount of administrative complexity behind healthcare. If you haven't listened to those past episodes, please do, since the topic we'll discuss today, telehealth, brings a lot of that material together. Back in episode one, I spoke with Rick Bernard from Optum about innovation, and we also talked about telehealth. I wrote about telehealth in a book two years ago called Healthcare Without Walls. Telehealth is one of many ways healthcare can move closer to people where they are in their homes, schools, work sites, and communities. Telehealth itself is a big category. It includes interactions between patients and providers using video or the phone. It also includes digital wellness apps that track your steps or exercise, and even wearable devices that monitor aspects of your health, such as your blood sugar level if you have diabetes. Telehealth in various forms has been around for decades, but many Americans got their first taste of it during the COVID-19 pandemic. Social distancing and the need to avoid exposure to the novel coronavirus dramatically accelerated demand for this type of virtual care. But the groundwork for the telehealth future was laid long ago, and with the pandemic, we're now beginning to see more clearly what its long-term role in healthcare might be. Our guest today, Christy Henderson, has spent her career laying that foundation. I'm Christy Henderson. I'm the Senior Vice President for Telehealth and Innovation for Optum Health. I'm leading uh, an initiative to really integrate technology in a meaningful way to drive value-based care. Advances in technology, the internet, and high-speed broadband and cellular service now make it possible to conduct telehealth across continents, let alone across states. Telehealth has come a long way since some of the nation's first programs were created in the 1960s. Doctors and patients back then spoke to each other through tiny black-and-white television sets. For her part, Christy helped to launch a pioneering telehealth program back in 1999. I was working in emergency medicine at at an academic medical center at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And at that time, in the late 90s, early 2000s, everyone was dealing with overcrowded emergency departments. People were traveling from all over to get care and leaving their communities. This was really an effort to accomplish two things. One is bring care to people closer to where they work and live and drive better health care results, but use the resources, the limited resources that we had to be able to have good outcomes, but keep cost of health care down. So I started working on it back then, really not to drive the use of technology, but to get the outcomes that we wanted so I could bring health care to a child in a school, to somebody that's a busy working professional that doesn't have time to go get to a doctor's appointment. We could bring it to them at work on a break. We connected hospitals so that specialists were available in underserved areas. Christie's program at the University of Mississippi Medical Center was eventually recognized by the federal government as a center for excellence for telehealth. 
At that time, it was one of only two that had earned that recognition, since use of telehealth was then relatively rare. What's so interesting about that, Susan, is that it's it was so shocking to everybody, too, but it really makes so much sense. It's an underserved area with a high need, has difficulty recruiting to bring in new clinicians, has financial challenges, a very um, needy population, and a lot of rural area. Today, even some of the challenges that you hear people talk about when they try to implement telehealth or other digital health tools, they'll talk about um, rural underserved areas and broadband connectivity issues and all that health literacy. And, and what I always turn back to say is, you know, it's been done. Mississippi's doing this now, and there's been great examples in other states very similarly. We have limited resources, the demand is in different places, and it fluctuates. And so if we can use all those resources more effectively, engage with people more often and earlier, then we really are moving to a more cost-effective model of care. All the meantime, because we're able to work with multidisciplinary teams and connect over the technology, is also beneficial to the healthcare provider. So they're able to take some of the burden off themselves and let everybody work to the top of their license. And and you hear that terminology a lot, but what that really means is, is that the nurse, the emergency room technician, the social worker, the dietitian, everybody becomes part of your care team and you're connected through the technology so that everybody can contribute in a way that drives the right results but also balances the workload that they may have. In the years since Christie's program launched, the explosion of digital health has made possible forms of virtual care that were scarcely imaginable even in the 1990s. When we first started telehealth, we didn't always have all the other devices that allowed us to be able to do the full exam that was needed and to be able to see all the things that we would have normally seen in person. But today, providers can even conduct physical exams of patients remotely. High-tech blood pressure monitors and other devices can instantly transmit information about patients' vital signs to clinicians. Tools such as digital stethoscopes and otoscopes can allow doctors to listen to sounds from patients' hearts and lungs or peer remotely into their ears. We already know what is needed to be done to diagnose certain conditions or to manage somebody's health. If I'm doing a telehealth visit with a patient and I'm trying to diagnose something and I need to listen to their lungs or look in their throat, then the technology allows me to do that. In addition to helping conduct physical exams, telehealth also seems tailor-made for many aspects of mental and behavioral health care. For example, conducting psychotherapy remotely. So having this close interaction with a therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, health coach, they can really be more present. And when people are at home and in the privacy of their own environment, they are more freely sharing information, not to mention that the healthcare professionals can really see them in their real environment. They can see if there's other things in their household that are maybe causing some of the stress or anxiety or other issues that they need to address. And there's no question that telehealth can be more convenient for patients and providers alike. 
Think about it. Nobody wants to sit in a waiting room. Nobody wants to wait. Nobody has time to do all of those things. And so what happens is you see people delay care or ignore things that they know they should take care of, but they just don't have time to. If you think about access, there's always transportation issues. There's always time off from work issues, but also thinking about um, sustainability when it comes to uh, providers, making sure that we're integrating things into their life so that it is actually, they're able to do their job more effective. So instead of the provider needing to stay and, and keep their clinic open after hours, they can have a partner from somewhere else be able to supplement and, and provide that care through telehealth and not have to be there in the clinic. The quality piece is important too as we think about driving down costs. We don't want to have uh, telehealth be an additive cost to the system. You think about really trying to use the least, uh, I guess the lightest touch, to deliver the right outcome. Despite telehealth's many advantages, its use has grown slowly until recently. Some clinicians have been skeptical that telehealth and other forms of virtual care were as good as in-person care. Many payers, including Medicare, typically wouldn't pay for much telehealth except in limited circumstances. Then the COVID pandemic hit, and suddenly millions of Americans could not have in-person visits with their health care providers, in part out of fear of catching the virus. A lot of the long-standing reservations and restrictions that limited the use of telehealth quickly fell away. Telehealth use soared by more than 4,000 percent across the country in March and April of 2020 alone. And, and some of the biggest skeptics during the pandemic found out that good quality care can be delivered through technology using telehealth and that it is a viable, scalable, great way to deliver health care. You can build a hospital, but populations migrate and people move, and so care can't follow them. But with telehealth, it's always in the right place. It doesn't mean it can answer every question, but it has to be a part of our health ecosystem. And so what I'd say is that during this pandemic, if there's anything good that came out of it was that, that we have an opportunity to actually make telehealth a permanent fixture in our health ecosystem and drive down costs. As the pandemic grinds on, there's debate over how big a role telehealth will play or should play in the healthcare system of the future. Federal regulators and some members of Congress have said they want to preserve the new flexibility to provide telehealth, even after the public health emergency is over. But there are a lot of uncertainties about how much providers will be paid for providing telehealth in the future. That level of payment will affect how widely telehealth will be used. It's also unclear whether states will continue allowing clinicians to provide telehealth freely across state lines without requiring them to be licensed in those states as they are doing now while the pandemic continues. For their part, Christie and other advocates say telehealth should remain an essential part of a system that truly achieves the goals of the so-called quadruple aim. The quadruple aim, just to make it really simple, is about delivering quality care, reaching more people, so providing the access, driving down the cost. To that end, Christie and other Optum colleagues are now devising new ways to pay for health care that can support the best blend of virtual and in-person care. After all, the healthcare system will always need places to perform surgeries, 
to hospitalize severely ill patients, and to deliver other types of hands-on care. Christie says the opportunity exists now to find the appropriate balance, care delivered in person when it has to be, but virtually when it can be done as well or even better. Well, no one really wants to be in a hospital, right? We want to be around our support system, our family, uh, within our own environment where we're comfortable. Think back to the old days when you had doctor visits at home. Well, now that's happening, and we have the equipment that can be put in the home for um, monitoring of patients, just like what you see in the hospital. It's amazing what we can do, going from uh, one spectrum of where we could treat simple coughs and colds and rashes over a smartphone, um, to now hospital in the home where we're really trying to flip the whole model on its head. So it's not about how should I deploy telehealth, but how can I actually reinvent the entire healthcare delivery system and do as much as possible at home, in the workplace, outside of the traditional brick and mortar healthcare facility. What I'm most excited about right now is the true merging and melding of in-person and virtual care. Telehealth connects us with patients so that we can actually go on the journey of health with them and stay connected through remote monitoring, through um, all these other technologies and quick video visits so that you can talk to your nurse or talk to your social worker and get that care. So we're really using the right side of service and then we're intervening earlier so that we can get people as healthy as possible and lowering the cost because we're doing it in a, a least intense setting of care. We are using all the resources that we have around the country in a more effective way. If you were daydreaming about the way healthcare could look 20 years from now, what do you think is possible? Um, when I think back to when we started in, in early, you know, in 1999 and 2000, trying to implement my first telehealth program, no idea of the possibilities of where this would go. We talked about the amazing technology that's out there, and that's going to continue to advance. You know, when I think about um, during the pandemic, as this, we're still in the midst of all that, and it's destabilized everything that we know about our life. Um, but what that means, though, is that we have an opportunity to take the learnings uh, that we gained deploying telehealth during this crisis and really rapidly scale that in a way to truly transform how care is delivered. Allowing telehealth to play a major role in our healthcare system will go a long way toward achieving those quadruple aim goals that Christy mentioned. After all, the technology to conduct telehealth already exists and is only going to get better with time. Now our healthcare system just has to figure out two important issues. One is how to pay providers so they have the right incentives to use telehealth appropriately. That's a complicated balancing act. In theory, incentivizing more use of telehealth should help to lower overall healthcare costs when telehealth can truly substitute for in-person care. But unless providers are paid adequately to provide telehealth, they won't have much incentive to do it. The other important issue is how to update state licensure requirements and other regulations so those don't get in the way of telehealth. Then we'll be able to create new hybrid care models, in-person care when we have to have it, and virtual care when we can. We'll have far more of the accessible and affordable health care that we all need. That's all for this episode of Until It's Fixed, a podcast from Optum. I'm Susan Denser. 
Thanks for listening.